This week on Rethinking Design, we'll talk about building community in and out of the pandemic, how to rethink design education, and why you should embrace your own brand of weird. This is Rethinking Design, Episode 1, Benjamin Bush. Welcome to Rethinking Design, the podcast where I talk to creative professionals about what they do, what they love, and how they're changing the world around them. I'm Hans Kohler, and my guest today is Assistant Professor Benjamin Bush, a designer, mentor, and educator from the Southeastern United States. He believes in hard work, non-traditional learning environments, and instilling fun into all walks of life. He teaches sophomore and senior students at Auburn University through their design studios, foundational studies, digital prototyping, and portfolio classes. Benjamin also leads study abroad programs to Ireland and the UK and volunteers with the outdoor design conference known as SHIFT. You can find more about Benjamin at publicschool.com. That's public with a K. Welcome, Ben. Hey, thanks for having me, Hans. Yeah, wonderful to have you on. You and your studio have been pretty busy lately. Uh, What have you guys been working on? Yeah, we've been um, burning the candle at both ends. So our former work has been with Cosmos Corp. So Auburn has, you know, collaborative projects where real companies come to us with real problems and we try to fix them. We don't try to fix them. That's a bit uh, too extreme. We try to offer an alternative method to approaching those problems through the lens of somewhat of a novices um, and, you know, young creatives and, Try to be a think tank, really, a little bit of R&D extension. And occasionally we do solve problems, but I don't want to set us up like that. We're like a, a legitimate design consultancy with 25 years of experience because that's not us. So that's the main thing we've been doing. We've got a giant project. We've got three studio days. Next Wednesday is when it all comes to close. So we've been really busy on making different offerings for them where they've kind of has, had us in three categories dog grooming dog dental and packaging of these dog or pet items so it's been a lot it's lots of exploration that's been really busy but this is what i learned years ago when you're doing these projects you don't want to like bog it down with 15 weeks of the same project because essentially the client is only getting around 12 weeks of work you just kind of you suffer from burnout it's too much stuff so what i've learned is to throw a little mini project in there so our mini project was working with a nonprofit in Opelika, Alabama called Storybook. And they do hippotherapy, not with hippos, but with horses. And kids from traumatic or developmental backgrounds come out and ride horses and just get to enjoy that context and the context of stories, hence Storybook. And they've recently added kind of a dog play area. And in this dog play area, they basically just had an area. They said, could you help us think of like interactive um, play elements that are story themed. So we threw a hat in that and just really, the students did a great job, but man, I, I crushed them this last two weeks just in terms of workload. And that would be enough. That would be enough for a semester. And then me and Randy Bartlett threw together a week and a half little charrette with our partners in Ireland. Since we're not in Ireland this year because of COVID, we worked um, across the Atlantic, across the internet. So we've been busy with lots of stuff i i've been very impressed i I hate people ask like how's your how's your class this year and as soon as they say they're good they prove otherwise but in this case they've uh they've they've proven themselves this last week let's see if they can maintain that status for another five studio days yeah and they've been really ambitious i mean i went over there the other day and I saw they're constructing like a Horton Here's a Who, you know, elephant with a pipe that runs underground yep. so you can talk to each other through the pipe. Uh, but I, it was really fun. I saw on one of their Instagram stories because I follow a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> they look like they're digging a body essentially <laughs> to bury this pipe in the ground. Uh, oh, yeah. it was re- it's really great just to see, uh, you know, people laughing and having fun and, and messing around outside. I feel like that's been missing a lot l- lately. Yeah. I mean, I've taken the stance now for a couple of years that I think design should be fun. And if kids are really good at being fun, maybe we should be more, more like kids. And it's a lot easier to do hard work when you trick yourself into having fun doing it. Um, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, digging a hole is digging a hole, but if you do with your friend and you see that the overall picture, it's a bit easier to, uh, 
to do that. But yeah, it was definitely a fun experience. Um, I, I love the fact that it was like truly philanthropic because if you don't have a certain amount of money, you really can't get into these design studios unless the professor says, hey, we're just going to do all this stuff. So it was a really good marriage of having the opportunity, having the right class and being able to do, do something for kids that we might never meet. So happy that we got to do it. Um, now I'm just kind of, it's, it's uh, the table is set. I just want to see how they'll use it and see if they really enjoy it. And I hope they do. Yeah. And I think that you have a really good track record for trying to take less than ideal circumstances and, and make them work. You know, I think that when we went abroad, you know, to Ireland together, you're, you're very much one of those people who looks at a problem and doesn't say, all right, well, let's give up or let's, let's try something else. It's like, no, how can we figure this out and make this work? You know, what, what are those paths that we can take? So one of those paths, I guess, recently has been the pandemic. I mean, you've been teaching all through it. How has bonding between students changed uh, because of it? And, and how have you kind of been finding a way around it? That's a, a sensitive question um, because you have the external bin that y'all say and the internal bin that I live with every single day. Um, to quickly address the making the best of the worst type of situations, like this sounds like maybe weird, but like that was my childhood. Um, we lived out in the woods, maybe 20, 25 minutes from the closest hardware store. So when something didn't work, you tried to make it work. And this became just part of my problem solving approach. And so now that either you can just say, eh, throw your hands up and not do it, or you could just give the good old college try. It's kind of become like whatever. Uh, teaching in Louisiana, there was zero funding. So for three or four years, I was like, well, what can we do? Even I think, I don't know if it was on your trip or not. I think it was a year after uh, we messed up me and the bus driver and we didn't go to Waterford. So we had like three extra hours to spend that day. And so I put on the, the smiling professor Ben Bush face and I found two more um, museum visits in Cork. We went and saw the butter museum. Oh, that was us. <laughs> okay. The butter, that wasn't planned. Obviously. I don't know if I told you or not. Sometimes I just like, I'm just fully transparent and be like, this is what it is. Uh, and either is buy-in or not buy-in. So to answer the pandemic question, it's been tough. Um, I've been doing online components for the last, let's say, two years, maybe three years. As soon as I started portfolio, I realized I needed more time to give more feedback. And I'm kind of questioning, like, is that the best route to go? Because having one authoritarian bin giving everyone feedback is not the most foolproof. It's definitely like me giving my, my best effort. But that kind of got me into the, the online studio and playing around with that. And so when the call almost a year ago came down from the university and saying we're all going online, I was like, I'm already there. Catch up, losers. Um, and I had a really good studio. I, I think a lot of it comes from the way I teach and having Ireland. It's like I knew the students really well. So I didn't have to really build relationships over the internet. They were already existing. And so I was able to draw from that bank account that I'd already built up because that's the way I like teaching. I don't want to come in here and teach to a student where I don't know their name and I don't know their story and I don't know the background, which makes Ireland really fun because I get 24 hours with you for 10, I don't know, what is it, two weeks, three weeks straight. And so I'll get to know everybody's background, which is great for me because if I never need to get some motivation out of you, I know which buttons to push. Which sounds kind of bad, but it also means like, I I don't know. I like to know the people and my coworkers, my students. And so that the first semester was easy. The second semester was much harder because I don't prefer to do online. I can, I think it's a good um, like parallel or jumping off point or even kind of sidecar, but I don't want it to be the main thing. Like I like the whole experiential approach. And when you take that out, I felt like I was just doing a job. I was just lecturing and there wasn't any back and forth. The, the communication was decent, but the relationship was so much more difficult to, to maintain because you can't just have offhand conversations about like Air Force Ones or Godzilla versus Donkey Kong, not Donkey Kong versus. Uh, I would love to see that movie. What is it? It's Godzilla versus King Kong. King Kong. Right. And those things happen in class. I'm like, that's just part of being in a relationship. And when you cut that out and it's only one person talk at a time, teaching much less fun. So I'm glad we're getting back to normal, but 
as much on the outside, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm having a good class and I'm trying hard on the inside. I'm like, I, do, I don't like this. Get me out as soon as possible. So that was that was fall. Now we're getting further away. So I know. And, and you talked a little bit about uh, back in Louisiana, you started teaching pretty early on uh, and you mentioned and, and you're working with Randy now. You mentioned that Randy Bartlett was a pretty big kind of starter for that, for you getting into education. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh man, that was huge. Yeah. And some people like joke on Randy and he has this thing to joke on about, but like Randy Barley is the person who saw potential in me before anybody else saw it. So it was grad school. And I think I did a GTA with Shay for photography. I, I kind of like the teaching aspect and I wanted to go to, on the Island trip as an undergrad, but you know, three kids in college, I just didn't want to put that pressure on my parents and I didn't want to go into debt. So I said, you know, maybe later. And the opportunity came up and said, I'd like to go Randy's like, how about your GTA for me? And I'll give you two assignments. I'm like, I wasn't planning to do two assignments. I was planning to go to be a tourist, but started making out some handouts and thought through a project and walk with the students through this project. I'm like, I, just, I like this. Like my base teaching experience is Ireland. It's doing life with somebody and doing education with somebody where there isn't like this building or zoom thing. You come in and come out. It's just, everything is everything. So yeah, Randy gave him a start. And after that ended it, I'm like, well, I got a master's degree and 10 man's like, you know, you could teach if you wanted to. It's like, ah, I'm probably not ready. I'm too young for that. And a job opening came in Louisiana. And so I jumped and I did it. I liked it. Kept on doing more of it. Felt like I was doing better at it. Just kept on doing it. So I got started teaching at like 20, 22, 23. And some of my students were older than I was. And it was super weird for a little bit, but now I'm in the clear from that. And I've been doing teaching for almost 12 years. So I've made, uh, I've made lots of mistakes in that space, but I wouldn't change it for anything. I mean, I know, I know not just like, this is my person I'm at a conference, but I know, know so many incredible designers who were awesome as students and now they teach me things. So long game, it's been totally worth it. And so do you think that that approach to teaching where there isn't that sharp divide between kind of work and school and home that you had in Ireland, do you think that that affected how you taught kind of for the rest of your career? I think so. I've, it was, I was definitely a grad student teaching students my first couple of years. Like we go to the gym together, they'd have a birthday party, I'd come over and it mostly stayed on that same track until like I started having kids and having a family. And then I'm like, I can't. I can't do both really well. And I love my students, but my kids need more time and more investment than my students do. And so I've been, I think my time management's gotten better. Um, and then there's the stuff like, I do want to go to your birthday party, but if it's a bad look at me, bad look kind of longevity wise. And like one of these, my rules is like, I don't drink with students came from seeing other professors make that mistake and be like, eh, I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> so I like that the, the personal approach for sure, but it's, it's matured into where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. But like, I want to know them. I hope they want to know me. I want them to hit me with weird questions. Um, I don't want to say like teaching makes me feel like I'm, it keeps me young because that makes me feel like I'm old, but it makes me feel like relevant and makes me feel involved. I don't want to be the cool teacher. I just want to be the involved and interested professor. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. The, the cool part just kind of naturally follows, I think, because you're the most, you know, up in everyone's lives. And one thing that I've always wondered, and I kind of have this same kind of questioning feeling for a couple of the other professors who, who did go to school here. How weird is it to be a coworker with someone who taught you. Is it odd? Are there weird dynamics? There are ups and downs. So we'll start with the ups and there are more ups than downs. So working with Chris Arnold, a dream, like incredibly smart, positive attitude. He's a person I can depend on. He was like my references. Um, as I was getting my beginning designer education job going and just to be in the same building, that's, that's a huge treat. And like knowing I'm going to work with Shewin, I'm going to work with Randy, like all these people that I know they are quality people. That was good. The weird barrier becomes when like someone is an authority over me. I don't want them to see me as Ben Bush, a student. I want them to see me as Ben Bush, the professional. 
and there's no books written that I'm aware of that helps you transition in that extreme line where design isn't equations, it's experience and like, how do I prove to them? And I don't want to have to prove to them. Like, it's like a, I think it's New Testament, even a prophet in his own town is dishonored. And I'm like, I don't want that to be the scenario. And so how do I prove myself? I don't have to prove myself. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the relationship between me and my coworkers, my former professors are, are definitely good. But there is a, there's a level that me and Rusty, we, we're just, we're just coworkers. But there's sometimes I'm wondering, like, if, if me and Tim Mann are having a disagreement, I'm like, how do you see me, Tim Mann? Do you see me as a colleague or do you see the former student? And his situation is not unique just to me. I mean, Shay, Jared, Chris, we all had him as professor. And so I'm not the only one who thinks it's a little weird, but working at three universities, this is the best situation, best climate to work in. Mutual respect. We all want to go in the same direction. And even if we disagree, and I think disagreeing is good to, to growing, we can work faster. I really understand where you're coming from when you say that you want to be seen as an equal because you do have a little bit more of a, a different stance on some things than some of them do just because, you know, your experience has been different. And I think that you represent kind of a, a younger way of thinking when it comes to design education. What are some of the things that you feel like Auburn would be better off implementing uh, that you're working to get implemented? Yeah. So old school design versus new school design. Um, I affectionately say old school ID because like that's the foundation of this program, but it's grown. And so we need to grow, but like there's, I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't teach the way I teach if I didn't have that old school ID approach. So how do you preserve and understand what the most core elements of design is just capital D design, not industrial design. And how do you pluralize and kind of propagate or pollinate all these different areas with good design. Um, I'm not really sure how you do it other than you like, people are still people. Good research is good research. Find yourself some insights, um, find patterns and find ways to uh, apply them in prototype, whatever prototyping means to you. So the places that I've gone with have not been like traditional injection molding, plastics, color material finish, even though at times I'm about those things. It's been more towards how can I get you to play? So my learn through play class, which you were part of, I basically said, here's some toys, here's some Arduinos, here's some little bits, here's some Lego Mindstorm. And here's kind of a weird goal, figure it out. I'll help you figure it out, but very loose um, and moldable parameters. Because if I ask you to have fun by turning a light switch on and off, of course, I can turn the light switch on and off. But the question is, how do you make it entertaining and how do you make it relevant? It's weird. It's like it's it's so ingrained in me that it's kind of difficult to describe or elaborate, like why I take it through this new direction other than design should not be in one silo. It should be like thrown in all these different areas. And the more it's thrown in all these different areas, the more fun it becomes. So it's like. What's next? Like you wanna, you wanna have a guy who recent uh, contract project. He's like, I need to be able to measure a bear at 150 yards, between six and a, six and a half feet. I go, all right, cool, definitely atypical project. And the parts that I'm bringing into, like, it's very like perspective theory based, right? Eye distance, you know, things in the foreground or. Um, smaller than they are or foreground was opposite one. I don't know. <laughs> background. Um, yeah. Things in the foreground are bigger than they are in the background. And then we start asking questions like just from like design background is all right, you're fixing to give this to someone who doesn't know how to use it. How do we embed communication into it? That way they don't mess up. That's where design should be. It doesn't have to be in, we have to follow all of the 10 Dieter Rahm's rules. It's so like the more things you can apply it to, the more things you can think of, creatively and collaboratively chances are it'll be pretty good so it's more like i just don't say no like just with y'all like if i don't have a plan well we're at least gonna try it and see what happens that's the approach and i think that i've really noticed that shift at least in kind of chris's studio which i'm in now which is an open studio which lets people it's pick awesome. their own products or or projects i mean can be both but yeah it is awesome it's it's 
really inspiring to see all the directions people are taking it. But I feel like this year, there are maybe more non-physical design projects, whether that's UI UX or service design or somewhere off in the middle of nowhere, uh, which is kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. Uh, I feel like there's more of them than ever, but that might just be my perspective. What about from your perspective? I, I know you're not part of Chris's studio, but looking outside or looking in, do you think that that's been an increase from years previous? You know, I dabble in all the studios. I kind of stick my head in and say, what are you working on? So I've got a pretty good feel for, I'd say, 60 to 70% of the, the building right now. I love that there's different outcomes. Because if you just say good design fits in this one box, you're going to miss so many different opportunities. So for me, it makes sense. I love how the, the, the VR, like it's a tool, but without application to the tool, it's just a toy. Beat Saber. Love it. It's great. But how can we make this part of your daily experience? And if I had some time in that class and I was doing the open studio, I would love to dive into, I, I, I'm good at computer modeling. I've taught it since I was, geez, I taught that one in grad school. Um, every single year since I graduated undergrad, essentially. And I'm tired of sitting in the computer and just doing this. And I'm fast and I'm good, but I want to be full bodied. I mean, I have the athletic background. So how can I make a, an arc by actually making an arc? So I'm interested in playing in that space and the fact that I can get anybody into that room simultaneously and there is no scale. It's like, ooh, another sandbox. How about how about we play around with that? And it's all these kind of intangible, I didn't expect that to work, but it did work. I mean, going back to your project, I play with my students on a weekly basis. Why? Because one, if you just do the, the work part of the design and all the time, if you forget that there's a creative element, an explorative element, you're going to miss out on stuff. So we play on a weekly basis. And like we have my wisdom pup cards, which helps students critique because I saw there's a problem. And I didn't have to go through the design phase or like really in depth to figure out how it was. I'm like, how do I take some of that weight off of you of you being mean to your friend because you wanted to be honest and transfer that guilt to something else? What's a traditional design product, but it helps design just like yours. Like how, how can you get people to play together? How can you get them to practice being a team before the weight and the stress of actually being a team hits crazy idea if you want to be good at working with people how about you try working with people to get experience at it it's not, <laughs> it's not rocket science and i i think that you'd be really surprised at uh some of the stuff that we've been doing in vr not because of its advancement or because you weren't aware of it but just because some people are really excited for it people who are never thought would be excited for it are just so psyched to get something and play with it in vr one thing that i actually saw recently is kind of the reverse of of vr coming into your workflow uh or your workflow going vr is because gravity sketch now is an ipad app for it which is like a 2d but it's sketching in 3d uh i haven't tried it out yet but i've seen a lot of people talking about it on instagram and whatnot and i need to download it to to give it a shot but what do you think in terms of collaboration, you know, you talked about your wisdom pup cards. Are there any tools that you fall back on when you're trying to, and they could even be, you know, sort of more subjective tools like, like games. Yeah. Is there anything that really helps for students who feel disconnected from the class? Yeah, collaboration. I wanted to take two, take two stances on it. The first one is like when I'm working with a group that hasn't worked with each other before, like you need some type of, jumping off point. So with previous collaborative classes, so I use SCAD for an instance, um, they weren't in a cohort with each other. Granted, they were all the same year. They were seniors or juniors perhaps, but they didn't work with each other. And so our first thing was like, all right, we're going to enjoy a meal together. We're going to talk about the design brief and then we're going to go to a trampoline park <laughs> or we're going to go uh, stand up paddleboarding. We just needed some type of common experience because if I know that you've got my back in a, in a game of dodgeball, there's at least something to go off of when like, I need you to have my back when I need to get this thing to do. So, you know, prior experience, prior teamhood, really good, even if it's not within a project, even if it's not uh, academic. If you've got somebody who's not connecting, it's, it's a diagnosis. And this is where I kind of borrow from my mom, the counselor's uh, perspective on it. What are the barriers that prevent them from joining? And it could just be they don't want to. And if they don't want to, they don't find the fun and they don't see the value in it. So it comes back to the Ireland. I need to have a conversation with them 
that's not just superficial, but what's going on with you? How do I get you more plugged in? How do I give you more ownership? Um, and that kind of gets me back to leadership. Thinking about the Island Project, you've got six students, 24 hours, and someone's got to make the decisions. And someone's going to be left out. And it all comes down to who can be more of a servant leader. Somebody needs to make decisions, but not just like, hey, do this and sit back and be the authoritarian. Um, and that one of my two of my biggest mentors, um, John McCabe and Owen Foster, like that's how they talk. They weren't going to ask you to do something they weren't going to do themselves. And so I try to model that. And that doesn't work for everybody because some people go, oh, Ben's got it. I want to sit back and fold the hands. <laughs> and that, that, that kind of tells me about their personality. But if you have a leader who's engaged and kind of watching around for these things and is willing to like put in the effort. And then if I look at you and if, if that's what you need to be incentivized, if you need to put in the effort, no problem at all. But sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's I just don't want to do it. And then you got to go, all right, how can I target this towards your long-term goal? Like I don't want to be in product design. I want to be in app design. Okay. Well, how do we target where it interests you, where you can see like you have investment now that pays off later? And that's a conversation that, there's no rubric. There's no outline. It's just knowing people and saying, all right, this is not working. What about this? And if that doesn't work either, how about this? Yeah. And I remember in Ireland, you were reading a book by Simon Sinek, Leaders Eat Last. And I remember it being one of your favorites. And that book, oh, that's so good. Like the distribution of authority. You usually have this triangle when the, the authoritarian sitting at the top, but the information on the outside there's no way I can spread you know, the person in the middle of the bin bush out to each 12 students or 15 students projects. I can't be authoritarian. So I need to give you the power to make decisions. And then we talk about them. So how do you disseminate power and trust down to where the information is and you just provide guidance and advice? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good book. Yeah. Um, I need to put it on my reading list or it is on my reading list. I need to read it. <laughs> and and so I think you do, and this goes back to kind of your, your teaching style and, and what you're talking about just now. I think you do a really good job of actually connecting with kids on more, I mean, I guess, I guess we're adults technically, but we're, we're, we're kids. I know. I, I say kids because there's a, there's an affectionate term in there. Yeah. And I have a certain affection for them. And just cause, just so you know, in about two, about two weeks, I'm going to go into a mild depression because I'm going to have withdrawal. I have, I've had students and I see them on a weekly, monthly basis for almost the past three and a half, four years. And then like they're supposed to, it stops. And I kind of have to go, I have to let those relationships grow. And then I have to invest in the new freshman, sophomore class, which is like, I love it. And I hate it. Cause I'm like, why are you so bad? It's Cause I haven't invested three years in you and you will be better. But right now, like my expectations are here with the Derek, and the Katie and the Hans. And now I get Peter. Who, who is this guy? <laughs> I don't mean to impose those expectations, but it is what it is. It's a little like being a parent, huh? Yeah, it is. Except I actually get to keep my kids, the ones who graduate. <laughs> and they need to graduate. It's their job to go up and leave. And I do get dividends later on once they start having a career and they become the person I need to go to for information and insight. It's just like the, the momentary, like, stop the doing life together because my job's to teach, their job's to learn, and I've taught them not everything, but a pretty good chunk, and their job is to go grow up and then come back and tell me what I don't know. And I think that's one of the great things, you know, always in your classes, you're always bringing in people who you know, and a lot of them you taught, like you said before, you've been teaching for 12 years, you've met and taught and formed relationships with a lot of people yep how do you keep in touch with all of them with that many connections do you have a schedule or or just whenever the whim takes you i do have to be slightly intentional about it um contrary to most people think or know about me is like i turn on when i'm in class to become the extrovert but when i'm not here i'm introvert and so social media is a really good one. Just like when I see it, I keep on hyping them up. Hey, that's dope. And that's a great way to keep them involved in people's lives. Like when they think you're a fan of theirs and they're going to be a fan of yours. Um, these things we used to have about like two years ago called conferences. Those were really nice <laughs> because you would just go and meet people and like you meet their friends and then they would be my friends too. And I look forward to that becoming a thing again. 
Um, I guess just like be, I, I go from being a, a teacher to being a cheerleader. And like some like I'll like your post, even if I don't like it, I like that you're doing it. So it's and I'm always going to be like honest, like I have some students who have gotten to the point where they are borderline internationally known designers and just knowing their personality. I went in, if I tell them all their stuff is good, that head's going to keep on getting big. So instead, <laughs> I'd be like, hey, Tyson, you ain't shit. And just to like see where that hits them. And it's like sometimes like that's the type of banter we need in our relationship. And other times it's just like encouragement. It's so good. So once again, knowing personalities and trying to see where they're at. Like you had a kid. That's awesome. Let's talk about that. And so kind of growing and part of it's intentional and part of it's just I'm built the way I'm built. And I want to make sure that I don't lose those connections. And like it's a it's a double edged sword. Yes, it takes time to bring in other people, but that's when I get to catch them with them too. Like the week leading into it, I'm like just kind of catch them with them personally and then y'all see me with them, but it's a good excuse for me to give up with them and it benefits everybody. So yeah, don't do one thing, do two things. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that you went to grad school and you talk about how it's my job to teach. I know that, uh, do you, do you teach any graduate classes? You do, right? You teach 3D modeling? Yeah, I'm 3D modeling. I'm playing around with the idea right now of me and Joyce flopping. And so she'll teach the grad SolidWorks and I'll teach the undergrads my drinking from a, hydro, a fire hydrant approach of rhinoceros, <laughs> SolidWorks, and fusion just to see what will happen. This is one of my problems. I'm competitive. And so I think I'm the best teacher ever. <laughs> and that's not true, but I think it is in my head a lot. So I just want to see if it is or if it's not I, just, I need some incentive to write and do the whole scholastic thing and if it's something i don't care about i'm not going to write about it but if i believe this is a good idea and i kind of see it's going in a good direction i'm like hey quit doing your stuff it's old and it's outdated do my stuff it's egotistical yes but it i'm not totally wrong either <laughs> just makes me seem like i'm that guy well and you know that's how progress is made right you have to keep eating the old uh, if you want the new stuff to come up. Yeah. Let's talk about grad school a little bit more because I know that you have had some opinions on it. Uh, and I know, I think you've, you've debated both sides of the issue. I have. But you do have one that maybe might be more your favorite. Yeah. So why don't you give me a rundown? Yeah. I'm on the record. Um, was, I guess, late summer. I was on a panel with like Carly Hagen's which as much as I just said that, like, I think I'm one of the best designer educators out there. I know a couple of them that are better than me. And so Carly Haggins, which is teaching at Western Michigan. So good. And one of her colleagues, Derek Cassio. Gosh, I, I love hanging out with them because I feel like I'm learning with them when I get around them. But Carly was uh, the moderator, so she didn't have an opinion. And then Derek, who just thinks so f much faster than I than I do was on the opposite side. He was arguing against grad school. Keep in mind, we all went to grad school, but he was uh, arguing against and I was arguing for. So had this discussion. It's out there if you want to go find it. I think it's on the Vimeo. So one of IDC's International Design Conference, IDSA stuff. Okay, so there's a, the, the prequel. How do I feel about it? I think it's good, but it's definitely not for everybody. The reasons why I did it, partly we were in a recession, like people weren't hiring. And I honestly thought that there were some things that I wanted to learn about. I became really interested in prosthetics and orthotics. I toured my ACL when I was a senior year. And so I was like, huh, why did this happen? And how can design influence it? And as soon as I put my, my orthotic on my knee brace, my confidence jumped because I couldn't get hurt again. I was like, product equals confidence jump? What is this? So I was interested in keep on learning about biomechanics and things that I didn't know specifically outside of this building. I had a really good friend who I played football with, went to church with, is one of my good friends, Matt Rook. And he was in kind of pre-physical therapy, biomechanics. My relationship with him got into with their professors. And so that's what made it really worth my time in grad school because it wasn't just industrial design on top of industrial design. It was industrial design saw through the lens of having a biomechanical approach to problem solving seeing their tools and like it became like this collaboration of the two majors so that was really the part that made it good for me and i got to teach but 
that's my justification. It wasn't just industrial design um, saturated with more industrial design. It was adding to. So my advice is if you just come out of undergrad and you want to go into grad school, don't just be in this building. You've got to go learn something else. Get in marketing, get in sociology, get in business. Because like what advantage are you going to have? Your degree is going to say B-I-N-D and then M-I-N-D. And you've got to make an argument that it was worth it. So mine was, and you can put whatever on your resume you want to. I had a master of industrial design with a focus in biomechanics. Anybody want to question me on it? Here's my hundred something page thesis. And let's talk about all the ways you can have ACL injuries and how you can prevent them. So you got to have something else in that bag, except industrial design. I would prefer, now this is the older Ben who has a bit more experience. Go ahead and graduate, get your design job for a year or two. Find out what you really like and what you want to go to, and then come back and study towards that direction. It's really, I believe it's really difficult to come back to school because you start doing life. Things get busy. You have more interests. You might have a family going, and it's just hard to stop everything and come back and learn. But if you can do it after a year or two and have like a, a laser focus towards now I want to do prosthetics or now I want to do user interaction or human-computer interaction, you're going you're gonna to be hungry. I felt a lot of students come into college, freshmen, sophomores, and it's just the next high school. They're doing it because they've been told to do it. But when it's your money and you have a trajectory where you can use this thing, the grad school knowledge, in that direction, you become extremely dangerous. So I would say that's the more preferred route. But situation is different for everybody. And it's something that I've been thinking about a lot as well. A lot of my classmates have as well, because once again, we're... We're kind of in a recession. We're not, I think a lot of people aren't totally sure where it's going to go from here. We're hoping it's going to rebound, but jobs aren't exactly growing off trees right now. Yep. Uh, and a lot of people are considering grad school and a lot of them are, are specializing. And I think that's something that Chris really harped on uh, as well for us. And, and you've always been a proponent of this, of like, you have to find your niche as a designer uh, because the general designers just don't get hired because why would I hire you when I can hire so-and-so who specialized in this? You know, I don't have a lot of incentive to, to go for you over someone else. That's an Andrew Edge thing. I mean, he got really good at the grasshopper and the 3D modeling and 3D rendering. And that's what I hired him to do. It doesn't mean he does all that, but that's a secret weapon that nobody else has. So it just makes you incredibly more valuable. I mean, there is definitely virtue and advantages to being the jack of all trades. It's just hard to market that because like we have an industrial designer on staff. Let's copy paste. It doesn't really make sense. You want to go, how do we add, how do we add to our culture? How do we add to our capabilities? And you got to have something else that's special. And so what would you say that is for you aside from your, uh, your biomechanics? If you're, if you're seeking a job now, I guess, as a, as a design, you know, educator. Yeah. As a design educator. Also quick plug. Um, I just finished making my tenure and promotion document that covers the last four or five years of everything I've done. So if you want to see why Ben Bush is special and different, I've got a 60 something page document you can flip through. It's a weird <laughs> flex. Um, so somebody said in portfolio classes, like you, you're weird becomes your superpower. And like, I almost wish that wasn't so true because it's become extremely true for me. So if you go back to me being in like church choir, we had these dramas when I was a kid and I would just do them. I kind of liked them. It doesn't mean I wanted to go into acting, but I got more comfortable doing presentations and telling stories. And those became more and more of what I do because if it's not an interesting story, people don't care. And if you can't communicate, even if it's a great idea, people aren't going to care. So having those kind of, two weapons in my back pocket is like, if you give me 15 minutes, I'll entertain you. And if I entertain you, you might actually listen to what I have to say. <laughs> um, that kind of compiled with the, the playful element. No one's going to say over the course of the year, I'd like to have less fun. Um, and like I said earlier, the fun sometimes is hard work. You've got to dig the ditch. You've got to do the prep work. But if you're smiling when you do it, it makes you do a little bit, a little bit easier less of um, a grind at times. So presentation, willing to have fun. Technically, I'm really good with the 3D modeling. It's just, it's what I've done. It's a toy that lets me make toys. Thank you, 3D printing and CNC routing for making them become more of a real life thing for me. And I would love to bring more manufacturing back to the US via printing or robotics. 
what else makes Ben Bush? I work well with people, right? And that comes back to the stuff that I didn't plan on. Like I was played in team sports my entire life. And then when I got to college, my first two years, I didn't have a team. I go, I don't like the way this feels. How do I have more people on my team? So I got into intramural and I got put into more leadership positions and I basically running class like I would run a soccer team. Everyone's going to be good at what they're good at. How do I put you so you benefit and kind of hide your weaknesses? Now, I want to I want to identify those weaknesses so we can work on them in the meantime, but like how what can I do not to be the focal point, the main authoritarian, but how do I distribute leadership and enable people where the information's at? So I say there's a pretty good pillars for Ben Bush. Also, I've got a number of students who recommend me, which when they say it, it sounds better than I do. <laughs> well, I would definitely recommend you for any teaching job. I've had such a great time in your classes, and I'm so lucky because if things had worked out differently, I wouldn't have gotten you at all uh, for an actual kind of studio. So the universe really kind of aligned uh, over the summer. I want to talk a little bit about fun because like you were just saying, uh, people who, who like fun things and are doing fun things, it just lightens the load a little bit. You know, work comes a little bit easier. And I find it's almost similar to like if you're, you know, if you're running, I hate running. But if I'm with someone and we're talking and having a conversation, I can do so much more than I ever would have been able to do on my own. And I love having fun in any kind of space, especially creative space. Do you feel like it is looked down upon in kind of the professional professional world because taking fun does take time you know and time oh, yeah. is money because they say is it worth it mm -hmm. um and so like you can play like long game more than short game if you need cad models all right just grind down and do cad models but if you give me some space and you give me some time how can i make that job more enjoyable for you if you find yourself smiling at something probably keep on doing that thing so i'm going to use tti they crank out models and renders and 3d goobly guys like lightning but i wonder is that same setup beneficial for everybody because i guarantee like there is a solidworks guy and so is there other like tools cad packages available for them to play around with and dabble in and go oh you know what instead of doing that let's do this over here let's open it up to more of a creative like playing with um the sculpt function and fusion feels like i'm playing with candy compared <laughs> to doing a solidworks um, and then add on top of that, the way you do it is effective, but what can I do a different way that might be more effective for me? So jumping into VR and doing modeling. Is it for everything? No, but if you're always, we're going to stick to this because this is the way we've always done it. That is not design. That's more, dare I say, engineering, which has its virtues. It's just, that's not the space I want to dwell in. So that's kind of, that's the approach. I think it's difficult to sell in the academic sense because I've got to publish and I got to research. It's like, I want you to research the beauty of a sunset. All right, let's just drain all the fun out of that thing. It's fun because it's fun. And when you're smiling, I don't need to justify that. Now, I might come and say, you know, we've done these different tests. And while I can't put a finger down on doing this one activity equals success, doing a couple of these things activities have proven. So have the willingness to try them. If it doesn't work for you, fine. Don't do them. Don't do monologue Mondays. Don't do what's new Wednesdays. Don't do fun day Friday, which I still, was it Lavender? I think it was um, Zihua. We shot me. We, we were playing like a, a multi online player thing and we were doing like Mario Kart. Mm -hmm. and once again, like what type of connections did I have with this, uh, a Chinese student who had only had one class before who is literally waking up at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning to take class. And what other connections do I have? Mm -hmm. Well, we made that connection point. And so when he has trouble on something, we have prior experience to pull from and we had fun with each other. So it's, I'm willing to go with you the extra mile because you were willing to go the extra mile with me. Yeah. And I think that, and that's really what my project is right now is, is it is about, that sort of like long-term game that you might not immediately see like, oh, our productivity went up 10% this quarter. Yeah. But but it is building that culture and thereby creating the environment that allows you to be better in the long run. And I think in terms of business, a lot of time it's kind of more the, you know, people stick with the devil they know rather than the one they don't. And But I think you're right when you say that design is not that. You know, design is trying new things and 
I think that it's really necessary for places that are creative to keep taking those risks, even though they might not be the most profitable, but, but in order to get into that new space. Yeah. One of the, one of the reasons why I work at Auburn is because I enjoy the culture of it. I mean, there's ups and downs. Um, there's not as much fluid money. Like I, I want to go out to dinners. It's one of those um, intangible benefits. So like instead of paying Ben Bush $2,000 more, we'll just take him out to dinner with clients. I'd probably do that. They don't know that. But because the way the money structure is a bit different here than when I was at, was at Savannah. However, there's there's benefits, right? There's, I come to a place where I feel happy. Um, still, standards are high. So how do I take this space of I enjoy the culture? How do you spread that with culture? I, I think it's a challenge for like the situation you're in and the graduates who are looking for jobs. You're going to see this resume and you're going to see this job posting, but it's more than just that. Like how will you, how well will you get along with the people? How do they communicate? Are they doing things outside the studio or is it just come in, head down, do work and then leave? And what do you want in that type of workplace? Right? If, if someone's not intentional about making their culture, you'll get a culture. You just get the one you don't want. <laughs> so being intentional and saying, you know, I, I think play has a benefit, um, tangible and intangible. People want to work here. It's just, it's tough to know when you had the job posting, but how do you know how their culture functions? It's difficult to know unless you know somebody on the inside because everybody's going to tell you it's great because they need you to be you know, hired on. But if you see turnover, extra six, six to nine to 12 months of new person, new person, new person, flag goes up. It's like, um, nah, not for me. Y'all need to get your culture right. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I saw it on job hunt advice that you should ask why the position is vacant in the first place, just Ooh. to be sure. Like, you know, it's a deep cut, but like, uh, did the last person leave or did you fire him or, you know, there's a whole lot behind it. And, and you personally, I mean, oftentimes we'll come around the hall with a cardboard boombox, Bluetooth speaker, bumping tunes. And I think that you always manage to bring at the very least a neutral attitude, but usually a positive one yeah, into, yeah. The, into the workplace. Does, does teaching, is that kind of what brings you joy or is it something else that is just kind of associated with teaching? I think the relationships bring me joy and teaching gives me a lot of latitude to explore. How do I do those relationships? Because if it's just like us having fun, that's good. But like, you got to do both. Right? I need, I want to give you a tool that makes you successful in the long run um, and give you feedback. Now, sometimes that feedback will be positive. Sometimes that feedback will be negative. And it took me, gosh, like six years to be able to the point where I could tell you things I liked and things I didn't like simultaneously because earlier on I was that grad student mentality. I wanted you to like me because I have no friends at this new place. Um, but in the long run, that's not good, right? If, if it's bad, tell me it's bad. That way I can, you know, move on it. So even though it seems like I'm bipolar now at times, I just, I need to tell you both. And if you don't like it, you're entitled not liking it, but I think it's the fastest way to move forward is, brutal honesty and you can only be brutal honesty within like a, a community and in a relationship because if i go down a second year right now i don't know any of them and just like rip a project apart i might never get them back for the next couple of years because instead of saying um ben was right or ben was wrong they'll think ben doesn't like me and then their ears turn off and then i'm not i'm not doing anything i can't pour into their lives personally i can't pour into their lives professionally because i did it outside of community and i did it outside of relationships so and I think that's also a very unique design mentality too, is like a lot of us are used to receiving kind of harsh critique on, on what we do. But if you go into a lot of conventional workplaces and try that, it's not going to go well for you, you know, like people will shut you down and you'll get fired. Uh, but it, we do have a kind of a unique situation in design where because we know that no idea is perfect, we're a little more open to receiving that kind of feedback on our ideas and, and modifying them and, and helping us grow through that. Yep. And it's, yeah, it's the relationship that I, that I seek and often do get through teaching that kind of keeps me coming back. I mean, that's why I refer to my students, my coworkers as kids. <laughs> There's a level of affection there, even though I try not to, I try not to be soft in the studio. I try to be hundred percent Ben Bush, mm -hmm. but there's, there's a soft interior. It's like, it's like a peep, I guess. <laughs> the well, Ben, this has been, so awesome thank you so much uh it's been awesome getting to talk to you and, and i'll see you soon but before we go uh i want to know is there anyone else who you feel 
would be good for this podcast? Someone who's really kind of changing the field of design and, and affecting radical change wherever they are. I'm gonna my brain just expanding with so many different the top three that came to my mind, Owen Foster, John McCabe, founders of Shift. They were my professors, my mentors. Like every time I talk to them, it's I'm learning something from them. So those are outstanding contacts. And then the phenom Carly Haggins. Like, I'm not saying she's better because I'm trying to like puff her up. I think she is. So <laughs> talk to her and then you can make your decision up for yourself and go, oh, Ben Bush is good, but Carly Haggins is actually a little bit better. Like, I know I was right. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I will make it a point to reach out to John and Owen and, of course, Carly. And it's really great because these are people who you have introduced me to. And so I have a little bit of a prior relationship with solely because of your influence. And I imagine that must feel at least a little bit gratifying to know that you're passing on the connections that you made and, and you value to people who you're mentoring. It does. It does. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. This has been Rethinking Design. Thank you so much, Ben, for coming on. If you guys want to get in touch with Ben uh, and find out more about him, remember that's publicschool.com, public with a K. Thank you so much. Thank you.